You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Our Old Testament, pardon me, our Old Testament reading and sermon text for today is from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. If you don't have a Bible or didn't bring one with you today, there should be a, a black Bible in a pew near you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home as a gift from Trinity Church Denver. Uh, and just as a reminder, when I conclude our reading, I will declare to you that this is the word of the Lord, and our corporate response to that is thanks be to God. Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning in Brian's kindness to me, is one verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And there are no Greek words or names. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable always, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, your, uh, I'm sorry, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I gave him one word, one verse, and he still mucked it up. <laughs> All right, let's pray, and uh, we'll get to work. So, Father, we often don't recognize your gifts as gifts. And so I pray that now as we meditate on your word, as we consider what the Bible says and what Proverbs says, particularly about the nature of the vocation, the work that you've given us to do, um, Lord, that we would receive it as a gift. I gotta pray that we would embrace with joy uh, the call to go to bed tired every night. Um, that you, we embrace with joy the call to bear fruit in this world and in this life. And, and God, make it all be fruit. Make it all be work. Make it all be labor that is grounded in, that is um, that is rooted in, that grows directly out from faith in the work of Jesus on our behalf. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, We think often of the Bible as a religious book. I mean, in our culture, religious books tell us questions about um, how to deal with the afterlife, um, how to deal with where we're going to go after we die. So when we come to Christianity, when we come um, to the totality of Scripture, oftentimes um, what, what, what many of us maybe even were raised to believe or to kind of Um, think about what the scriptures teach is that the Bible teaches us um, that we were sinners, um, that as sinners, um, in order to go to heaven someday when we die, um, you need to have your sins dealt with. And so um, it tells us about Jesus who comes to die on the cross for our sins. And if we believe in Jesus, um, we will not go to hell when we die, but go to heaven when we die. Um, And that is um, the message of the total message of the central and only message of the Bible. Um, We've come to think that that's primarily what the scriptures deal with. These heavenly ideas about how we get saved, how we actually, frankly, get out from here. 
Um, how, how do we get free from um, things like work and pain and wearisomeness? Um, how, how do we get out from this place? Well, I would maintain for, um, at the center for us, please don't misunderstand me, that the message of the cross, the message of Jesus' work on our behalf, the fact that he died to bear our sins, lay at the absolute center, the climactic center of all that the Bible teaches. But, but one of the surprising things you find if you begin to wade into the scriptures um, is you begin to understand the insufficiency of a story that primarily has to do with our escape from this place to go up to heaven when we die. I mean, you come to Proverbs and what you find there is an earthy book, an extremely earthy book. I mean, you would expect um, Proverbs is the kind of place you would go and find um, a father uh, commending to his son, make sure you rotate the tires on your truck. Do not be a sluggard and therefore fail to, to rotate your tires. I mean, you have the kind of book in Proverbs, the kind of writings in Proverbs that commend to us the most earthy kinds of realities. In other words, um, the, the way that God has called us to live, have, uh, to live has commended to us to live, um, is grounded in things that have to do with getting your hands dirty. It's expressed, the kind of salvation that God has wrought for us um, is expressed in the kinds of things that, that deals with vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers and weed whackers. It has to do with when you set your alarm. In other words, the Bible... The Christian religion is earthy, it's dirty. It goes all the way to the ground of your life. It's not something about escape from earthy realities. It is instead a way of living life in the midst of those realities and doing so well. The book of Proverbs is written from a father to his son, a king writing to a prince specifically. A king writing to a prince to give him instruction on how to rule, how to exercise dominion, how to wisely bear authority in the world. And so it is for us. A book given to us by our father, by our God, by our king, who has created us in his image to rule, to bring dominion, to subdue the earth and to fill it, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. In other words, the, the story of the Bible is not only about the forgiveness of sins, but it's about the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of humanity, the restoration of you and I in Jesus Christ back to our original vocation and purpose, namely to rule, to exercise authority. And so when we go to the book of Proverbs, we're not finding kind of maybe some helpful ideas and some not so helpful ideas. Rather, we're going to a manual given by a father to his son, a son commissioned to, born to bear authority, born to bring submission to the wild places, born to bring dominion, born to rule, to rule over the nations. And this is why it's given to us. Now, if the Bible is concerned with this dominion, with this subduing, with this filling, then what you're going to find at the center of much of Proverbs, in fact, at the center of much of the Bible, is language and instruction and wisdom about how do we work well. I want to go to one place in background. We're going to spend a few minutes here at the upfront 
kind of getting some things established and getting some things out of the way. But first, um, by way of establishment, have you ever considered these two things about the nature of the Sabbath commands in the Ten Commandments? One, that the Sabbath law is in the Ten Commandments. We think of the Ten Commandments as being the kind of the foundation of all of God's commands, all of God's law, all of God's righteousness, all really of God's wisdom. It serves as the, the cornerstone for all of it. And there in the Ten Commandments, right alongside things like don't murder, is you shall keep the Sabbath day, you should keep it holy. And not only that, but the penalties against violating the Sabbath day as expressed in the law are death. So just consider for a moment those two things. That the Sabbath laws were so central to God's establishment of the world, that this, um, this command concerning Sabbath, it was so central that, that it comes to us in the Ten Commandments, the centerpiece of all of God's law. And two, the Sabbath was so central, so foundational to what it meant to be human in the world, what it meant to live faithfully in the world, that to violate the Sabbath result in your stoning under the Mosaic Law. In other words, whatever is entailed in the laws concerning Sabbath, they're not periphery issues. And in considering the center point, the centrality of Sabbath, in understanding the will of God and what it means to be human, it's important that you understand that Sabbath is not merely a command to not work. It contains in it a command to work. For six days man shall labor, and on the seventh he shall rest. In other words, hardwired into the very nature of what it means to be human. Please hear that again. Hardwired into the very nature of what it means to be human is work, is labor. Um, The sweat that you accrue each day is not like a necessary evil. (laughs) It's a necessary necessity. The, the, The tiredness that you feel at the end of the day, some of it mental and some of it physical, it's not a necessary evil. It's a blessing. It's a gift. It's part of the way that you were made to be in the world. It's a centerpiece of our humanity. You and I were designed from the very, very beginning to to, to work and to get tired. To labor and to need rest. To labor and to need rest. That we were given a task in this world that goes beyond just eating great food and chilling and relaxing all the time. We were given work to do, to bring into submission all of creation under the reign and the rule of God Almighty. You were made for work. But even saying that, I was going to cause us to run up against a couple of issues culturally that I think will keep us from understanding the whole teaching about, in Proverbs about the nature of work. 
And there's probably, actually, I think I originally wrote down like seven, but then realized that would take up the entire sermon and we would never get to Proverbs. And that would be bad. So I'm going to give you two of the seven. Two that I like. I think are important. Two issues within culture that are massively, I think, problematic for us to understand the nature of the book of Proverbs teaching and really the Bible's whole teaching on the nature of work. The first is this. Um, We live in a world that particularly over the last 150 years or so has broken up the world and siloed out our lives into categories. And so you have work and work life and work life that is meaningful is work life that generates income, a paycheck. Then you have home life and home work. And then you have recreation and rest. And these exist largely in at least two silos, if not three. Um, Sometimes homework or home life and recreation are kind of combined. And then you have work out here. So you have work life and you have home life. And then you have weird, at least weird according to scripture, conversations about work-life balance. As if these two things exist out here. But what you'll find in scripture is a world in which home and labor are right next to each other. They're intertwined with one another. There's a call to labor, and it's not um, simply make sure you labor and go earn a paycheck, but there's a call to labor, to work in your home. In other words, the, the life that God calls us to isn't divided up into neat little categories um, called work life and home life. Um, that there is kind of a holistic, at the, at the root, a holistic vision of what it means to live faithfully before God and to fulfill the vocations that God has called us to fulfill. It's led to um, a kind of world where, uh, I would call this careerism, um, where, where there is this kind of uh, competition between your marriage and your family um, and the, the, the company that you work for. And, and, and a life becomes defined by, success becomes defined by, um, how far do I advance in my career? And it comes into competition with your home. And the whole goal of life becomes to advance in your company, to advance in your career, um, rather than the Bible's vision for work. At the root of this is a failure to, to recognize that home building and, and, and the expansion of the homes and the lives that we build um, beyond to, to generations to generations to generations is one of the fundamental purposes of all work. In other words, one of the goals of your work um, is to see the world subdued. Um, and the primary way that that world is subdued is that you build for the sake of your home and your family. That your family might flourish and grow and be raised up with blessedness, absolutely practicing generosity, absolutely seeking to bless our neighbors, but at the root, expanding from generation to generation to generation, the blessedness of God um, that comes um, as he blesses the work of our hands and our minds. 
You see, the Bible holds our lives together, not as siloed up and broken up into different sectors, but rather as woven of a single fabric. In other words, our lives are to have integrity about them, to be marked by fruitfulness, to be marked by the blessing of God. And at the center of it is worship, the worship of the triune God. At the center of it is a marriage that exhibits the glory of Christ and the church, the center of it is children raised up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord to, to see him, to know him, to receive his covenant promises. And then we build gardens that might be for a company, that might be um, as an entrepreneur, that might be in construction, that might be simply tending to the, the children that God has given you might be any number of things, but the whole of life is meant to be a fabric seeking out the blessing of God, seeking out the fruitfulness that God would provide, fruitfulness that builds up the home, that builds and blesses the generations and that serves our neighbors. Second is uh, the thing that I think we need to get around. It's tied to the first in the nature of our culture is um, there is this kind of uh, weird tension. I, I think in Denver we tend to fall into one of these ditches, but I'll just lay out the ditches for you. On the one hand, paid work as a necessary evil. Think of the book Four Hour Work Week. Like that's kind of funny, right? In other words, the, the goal should be let me reduce how much effort I have to put into life so that I can surf. I wouldn't surf I'm too, just not the best body type for surfing. I would sit in a hammock. That's more the body type I have. Like, so, so the goal of life becomes not labor, not fruitfulness, not faithfulness before God um, that brings about the blessing of your family and your neighbors. Um, uh, that does not become um, the worship of, of the triune God in and through the life of the church, but rather the purpose of life becomes to get away from work as soon as you possibly can. Think of the way that retirement is talked about in our culture. Retirement is a necessary evil. Not work. Like the, the goal of your life should be to labor, to be fruitful. The goal of your life is to work as long and as hard and as fruitfully as you can. To tend this world that God has given us. Yet you, um, the, 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 the nature of work is not to work as little as you can. But rather to work as fruitfully as you can. As faithfully as you can. As before God. I think uh, in Denver, um, Hunter Beaumont, pastor at Fellowship, uh, and I used to, um, we would travel to various events together. And people would always ask us about the nature of Denver culture. And our common joke became that, that Denver was the city of middle management. Um, that, that no one lived in Denver who wanted to work hard enough or to work at the level that it would require to get like a CEO office somewhere. Um, but they needed to make enough money in order to purchase their ski passes every year. Um, and so Denver became the place where you wanted to be in middle management because it didn't require you to work so much that you couldn't ski, um, and yet you could still make enough money so that you could ski. 
I mean, we live in a city, in a, in a culture in Colorado um, that is centered around playing, around recreation. Uh, but that doesn't mean that then the other end of the spectrum is not often an issue. And that is um, that my pay, my ability to earn, my success in my company, um, my recognition by my company through my own promotion um, becomes the measure of my own value and worth. I think this is one of the direct effects of of the siloing um, of our lives between work and home, that, that, that work becomes the place where we are fruitful. Work become, um, the work where I earn my paycheck becomes the place where I, I'm fruitful, where I um, actually do the work that God has called me to do. And home becomes merely a place of recreation or maybe at best kind of tending to children or a marriage. Um, but mostly it's about rest so that then I can go to work on Monday and actually do the thing that gives my life value. And so you have on the one hand, work is, is an evil that I want to avoid as much as I possibly can. And on the other hand, you have the idea that work um, is the very way my paycheck, my recognition, my advancement in my career becomes the way that I prove my own self-worth. Both of those are foreign to the teaching of Scripture. Foreign to the way that the Bible speaks about the nature of our work. And so... Um, you find uh, companies demanding um, in the oddest and strangest sort of way a kind of loyalty to those who work for them. Um, you find companies that aren't centered around merely the, the production of a good or the cultivation of technologies or the, um, the, the production of something that they can sell, but you rather you find um, companies that sell sugar water um, carbonated sugar water, to quote Steve Jobs about Pepsi, um, taking on social identities and political identities. Such that to work there is actually becomes a social statement, a tribal statement about, um, about the very nature of what is good and evil in the world and not what it actually, frankly, is, a contractual financial arrangement. I give my time and my effort to the furtherance of, of, of to helping this company produce a good, to produce a certain outcome. And then I get paid for that and paid in such a way that I can support my family, paid in such a way that I can build my home. Um, it was remarkable, which is why in, in, the, in kind of the context that we've grown up in, in this culture, it was remarkable. I remember last year, I don't know if you heard about it, uh, a company called 37 Signals. They make a project management app called Basecamp. Their, their CEO and president um, sent a letter to their company basically saying, look, we're done with social statements. We're done um, with political statements. We're not, um, as a company, here to produce social causes. We're here to produce a product that helps people work. And so we're done with all of that. If you're looking for us to, to, to get behind social causes, to wave certain flags, to take social statements and political statements about who we support and who we should denounce, um, you need to go work somewhere else. And a whole bunch of people did. But that's indicative of a culture in in which identity is wrapped up in your paycheck. Identity is wrapped up in your career. Um, um, In in which you believe that the primary way, way that you're called to be fruitful in the world is through the earning of a paycheck. Rather than seeing the whole fabric of our lives, home, worship, yes, and labor that God has gifted us for and called us to as all intertwined of one common fabric. 
See, the, the Bible portrays work not primarily as a, a means of earning a paycheck. It doesn't, um, uh, doesn't simply put it in the category of career. Rather, it, it refuses to distinguish between the kind of work that is absolutely essential in the home, cleaning and mowing and figuring out how, again, once again, that trash compactor keeps getting clogged and stuck. It's definitely the potato peels. Um, it, it doesn't distinguish between the work of getting up early, fathers, with your sons, to pray, to teach them how to lift weights, to teach them how to run, on the one hand, and the going to your job and working with your mind. To, to, some of you fill in spreadsheets all day. God bless you. Or to cut wood and build houses. It doesn't distinguish between those two as though this is work and this is some other category. It, it places all of it before us um, as, as a, a, an integral fabric, a, a thing in which the goal is not merely a paycheck, but rather um, the goal is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness that blesses God. Now, fruitfulness is oftentimes financial fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is oftentimes hospitality that can be shown to your neighbors. But fruitfulness is also the raising of children who love God, who walk in integrity and righteousness. You see, there's a fabric, an an integration to um, the kind of life that the book of Proverbs calls us to as we think about the nature of work. Your life is not measured by your paycheck, by your advancement in your career. It is measured, according to scripture, by your fruitfulness before God, bearing righteous, good fruit in the presence of a holy God. And is there anything, frankly, more profound and eternal of fruit than children that would know and fear and love and delight in God? But we live in an age where some of the Bible's teaching to women, particularly women, I'm thinking here of Titus chapter 2, about the fun, their, the, their fundamental orientation as women is seen as offensive and somehow a call to be less than a man. When in fact, like, God doesn't measure out our lives as home and work, but rather it says, no, um, that we are to labor faithfully and righteously before the Lord, bearing the kinds of fruit that he's called us to bear. And some of that might be financial, but, but is there anything that compares the raising of children before God? Is there any more impactful, eternal kind of fruit? Consider for a moment fathers and mothers here on this Father's Day. That when you have a child, when you have a child, God is entrusting to you eternal souls. Like that's stunning and terrifying and the glory none of us deserve. And yet we live in a world that would diminish a woman who chooses to stay at home with her children would say that's somehow less than. Or a woman who's willing willing to, um, to, to slow down her career in order to focus on her children, children, gifts that God has given to that family. That's, that's just dumb. It's a mismeasurement, a misbudgeting 
of real value in this world, real fruitfulness before God. So with those two problems laid out, I want to lay out for us three warnings that the book of Proverbs, particularly verse 24, or chapter 24, lays out for us, but others, other texts as well. Three warnings and two exhortations, and then we'll be done. First, two warnings, most obvious one in the text that we just read. Look, listen to it again. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Um, you, you see three kind of clusters of different kinds of warnings um, in the book of Proverbs. And, and frankly, they are three ways that folly or foolishness is expressed in the world. And the very first one, the one that I would say is, is almost the most common in, in the book of Proverbs in describing the nature and the life of a fool is laziness. It's, it's seen as one of the highest expressions of stupidity. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like one of the clearest signs that you're a fool is if you're a lazy person in Scripture. You're, you're unwilling to be diligent, to work hard. You think of Proverbs 6. There's another place that holds up centrally the, the, the problem with laziness, with being a sluggard. And so if we're to take the book of Proverbs seriously, if we're to understand, hey, um, here is the nature of how to, to, um, to rule wisely, um, if we're to take seriously, like the, 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 just start measuring out kind of almost mathematically, like, hey, what, what warnings are predominant in terms of what will lead to shipwrecking a life? Let's say the two highest ranking ones you can find in the entire book of Proverbs. One is undisciplined sexual desire. So that, that shows up everywhere in Proverbs. You want to destroy your life, destroy your ability to rule well and faithfully. Let your lusts, let your sexual desires rule you. And you, you will destroy your life. Secondly, laziness. Being a sluggard. You see it expressed as kind of um, not just sleep, but finding any and every excuse that you can, finding any excuse you can not to do the work that's directly in front of you. To not do the task in front of you. So, So you see the sluggard in the book of Proverbs saying things like, I can't go do that. There might be a lion out there. I can't go do that. There might be a car driving really fast that would run me over in the street. If I mow my front lawn, I might get hit with a rock. 
I mean, you see the sluggard is the one who can't even enjoy. Take from a bowl at the center of the table the blessing of God. He sticks his hand in a bowl of sugar and can't even get it back to his lips. It's just exhausting. All of this eating is so exhausting. I often feel that way in my life. But it's remarkable that one of the things the Bible would plead with you to keep watch over is are you lazy? And are, are you excusing your laziness? A, a lot of, not, not all of, but a lot of our, our culture's common um, c- current obsession with the language of self-care and taking self-care days are just excuses for laziness. Sometimes, sometimes they're an expression of, hey, um, here's some renewing ways to, to practice Sabbath. Uh, but, but often what you find is simply like a, a kind of self-promoting way to justify laziness. So the first is don't be a sluggard. Secondly, um, the, the Proverbs warn us about vain pursuits. Um, those who go to work diligently will eat of their fields, but those who pursue empty pursuits or worthless pursuits or vain pursuits will have nothing, will encounter poverty quickly. Um, there's a way of missing, and I think this is, uh, there's a certain personality type um, th- that I, I can sympathize with. That's so set on some far off idealized future. Some kind of work you would like to do someday. Some imagined home structure or ranch or, or, or whatever the thing might be that you want to have, that you imagine yourself having someday, that, that it doesn't do the work directly in front of it. Like you dream about your career someday, but you haven't mown your lawn in like three weeks, which during certain seasons in Colorado is fine, but but not right now. Our our yard is dandelion central, and you have to cut it like every four hours to keep those things down. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like rather than dealing with the, the, the actual field that God's put you in right now, the day that has been given to you right now, the work that's been given to you right now, the, the, the work that's actually sitting directly in front of you, you, you um, anticipate and plan for the day that you'll work hard. <laughs> like rather than dealing with um, the, the problems you have in your garage right now, you dream of the day when you'll finally be able to afford the garage that you really want. It'll have a workshop in it. But rather than deal with the broken fence that you have, you can't, um, you, you anticipate and dream of the day um, that you'll own a new house with a new backyard, with a new fence. But rather than working and dealing with the, the, the children that you actually have in your home right now and the age that they are right now, um, you anticipate and dream of the day um, when you'll be able to play football, or in some cases soccer, um, with your child. You're always looking to something far off in the future and you're not dealing with the actual tasks you have at hand. Um, You're not dealing with the work, the blessings, the gift of work that God's given you to do today. 
You're just anticipating the future, planning for the future. Now, now hear me, planning for the future is good, but God has given you work now. Real work, real fruitfulness that can, you can do right now in front of you. So don't waste your life on vain pursuits. Because I guarantee you, the, the work that God's given you to do now is the foundation for the work that he wants to give you in the future. So be faithful with what he's given you now that you might be faithful with what he gives you later. Now, kids, anybody in school, listen to me. Latin class might feel dumb. Like, who speaks Latin? I'm talking to maybe the ACA kid. Don't raise your hands. You don't speak Latin. Like, You might think, like, this isn't going to help me, learning Latin. Like, I I don't even want to read all the Latin. Just want to read good books and say English. I want to have decent conversations in English. Why should I put the effort into Latin? Those of you have to write papers, arguing for things. You might think, this is This is dumb. Who writes papers for their life? I don't want to be a lawyer. Lawyers have to write papers. I don't want to be an author. Authors write lots of papers and are poor. I just want to do whatever. This same warning comes to you. God has given you a field right now to be faithful with that will become and is the foundation for the work that he intends to give you later. As Jesus' own warning comes, be faithful in the little things that you might be faithful with much. Don't simply sit around waiting for um, your vain hopes and your vain dreams that will never materialize unless you are faithful with the very thing that God, as a gift, has given you right now. Do the work you have now. Kids, look at me. If you're in school, please look at me. Do the work you have been given now. Be faithful with it. Almost came over the pulpit for you. Okay, third warning. So first, don't be a slugger, don't be lazy. Second one, avoid vain pursuits. Rather be faithful with the field that you've been given right now. And third, avoid unrighteous work. This is described in kind of two different ways in Proverbs. First, as quick, easy gain. Um, There is a kind of unrighteousness that is produced by constantly looking for the quick buck. Um, And and, and so it's not so much that if you find a way to wisely make a quick dollar that you shouldn't, that's not it. But if your life is bent on how do I produce fruitfulness with as little effort as possible, that orientation is going to lead you into things that are frankly unrighteous and wicked. So you should avoid orienting your life to simply getting the quick buck. Because that will lead to your pursuit of, your ability to justify unjust gain. Wealth that is gained by cheating others, by shorting others, by giving them shoddy work. 
Now you should, you should get paid. You should get paid well. You should enjoy the benefits of the work that you do. But, but the work you do should be rich and good and full. Moms and dads, you don't get a paycheck for caring for your children. But it is unjust not to give to your children what is due to them. The kind of labor and work that is due to your children before God. They've been given to you by God. They've been given to you as a field to tend to, to work. You must tend to it faithfully and well and diligently. And at times, I'll admit, 4 p.m. especially, um, in the earlier years, it's exhausting but it is the work that God has charged you with. Do not do that work unjustly. Do not cheat your employer. And last, not violent gain. Um, Proverbs is filled with warnings about not um, going with the violent men to gain. Um, There is an orientation of life, a kind of uh, of way of, um, we're not just talking about like armed robbery, or that would be absolutely included in this. Um, Things that um, help you advance your career, things that help make you money by slandering others, by attacking others, by harming others. This too is warned against as we consider what wise work is. Last two, um, which are absolutely directly related to the first three, they're just the opposites. Do your work with diligence. Work hard. It is good to be tired. Let me say that again. It is good to go to bed at night exhausted. It's telling in our culture that like one of the things that we default to, um, uh, this is, it's become a joke of mine among church planters. You go, how are you doing? Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm just so tired. I'm just really busy. And it's, it becomes this kind of like kicked, kicked back complaint as a way of, of both telling people, here's how hard I'm working, and you should feel sorry for me because I'm working so hard. I'm, I'm just tired. Um, I, I think that's common in our culture. But here's the thing like, when, when you feel tired at the end of the day, like when you lay down on your pillow at night and you start to fall asleep, And it feels so freaking good. You know? Like your body is achy. Your mind is exhausted. You should stop for a second and say thank you. That exhaustion is a gift from God. It's the result of the labor that he's given you to do. Um, Whether that's uh, a job or getting paid or just the weariness of dealing with kids or all of it thrown together in a mix that comes at you together. It's just kind of like, man, it is 8.15 and all I want to do is sleep right now. Say that with a, learn to say that with a smile on your face. And know that that was the design of God from the beginning. It's not a result of sin. It's not a result of the curse. You were made from the very beginning, from day six. Like the moment you were put on earth, you were charged with with exercising dominion, subduing the earth and filling it. And, And frankly, I think new creation, like after the resurrection, 
We will have work to do. Or uh, a <laughs> pastor this week uh, saying, um, I can imagine now, uh, because like the labor we're going to be given to do, I think will be remarkably challenging. Like will take like thousands of years to do. Like God won't have to kind of <laughs> navigate the fact that you're going to die um, in 85, 90 years. Uh, some of you, um, some of you, much less. Um, like he, he, he actually, uh, he, he doesn't do that anymore. So he, he can just go like, okay, uh, Nate, here, here's 10,000 years, uh, major goal by which your, uh, your effort, you'll have a 360 review on the basis of this work. I want you to take uh, the planet Uranus and I want you to grow beets there. Go figure that out. <clears throat> like, I think we're going to have enormous things to do, um, massive, glorious, challenging things to do, a new creation. Um, in other words, I think we'll be tired. Like we'll work hard and we'll want to rest. And so first we would say is work with diligence. Embrace being tired as a gift and then rest as God has commanded you to rest. Knowing and resting in God's sovereign providence of the world and that he rules it. Second, work with the field that's directly in front of you, not some other field. Don't pine or envy your neighbor for his field. Um, don't pine or envy your spouse for their field. Um, but rather, work the, 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 go to work diligently in the tasks that God has actually put in front of you, that he's actually put in your life. Proverbs twelve eleven: He who works his land will have plenty of food, but one who pursue, pursues worthless things or vain things, um, they lack sense. And then last, from Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Um, do your work with skill. Um, it is not a shameful thing, a sinful thing, a prideful thing to put forth effort to become the best you possibly can the work that's been put in front of you. If you're a carpenter, become the best carpenter you possibly can. If you're a financial manager, become the best financial manager you possibly can. Grow and exceed and work to be the best. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer imaginable. If you're a programmer, be the best programmer imaginable. If you're a, um, if you're a stay-at-home mom, be as diligent at that task and grow in it and learn and become masterfully skilled um, at, at being a stay-at-home mom. If you're a teacher, become the, the most skilled teacher you can. Um, um, there, here is a kind of honor that is blessed by God, encouraged by God, go to work being the best. You will stand before kings. Here's a glory and honor you should put effort into. This is the mark of wisdom. Now last, we work, all of our work is grounded in, grows out from the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Many of our neighbors labor, work, are driven and obsessed with their career because that's the only way they know how to justify their lives, to find value and worth and salvation. This is not how Christians work. Christians work as those who have been freed by Jesus, that all the work necessary to... to, um, to, to 
to be evidence of our righteousness, all the work necessary to justify us, all the work necessary to justify your existence in this world, none of it has come from you. All of it is a gift. And so therefore, freed from your need to justify yourself. Free from the need to prove that you're valuable. Go to work with all of your might. Working in righteousness and wisdom and justice in all of the work that God has set before you right now. And joyfully, gladfully, gratefully go to bed tired every night. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for work, for labor, for the gift of rest and sleep, for the gift of Sabbath days where you get to go home and sleep and rest and laugh, maybe play pickleball and eat good food, and then get up tomorrow morning and go to work, being diligent in the tasks you've given us. God, I pray for us that that would be grounded in the work of Jesus. And I pray if there's anyone here um, whose work life is dominated by a need to justify themselves, to find some salvation in their labor. God, I pray that you would free them from that, that they would repent of that and find their hope, their meaning, their identity, their justification in the work of Jesus. God, for all of us in this room who who are prone to, to laziness, God, call us to repentance and to diligence. For all of us prone to dream of some field out there somewhere, um, but rather than to work faithfully um, the small things that you've given us now, God, call us to repentance, to work faithfully over what you've given us now. Last, God, those of us who are prone to work in sin, in injustice, in unrighteousness, in rebellion against your word and your commands, God, lead us to repentance. Um, Keep us from unjust gains and wickedness. God, may we be a people who work under your providence and for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.